You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. This is EpiWhip 357, the most powerful hand hair remover in the universe, and it's capable of shaving your legs clean off. I've always wanted to see a man shave with one of these, but I guess you'll do. Now you'll know the meaning of the word. And welcome to the Video Game Sequel Cast. The Video Game Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at video game franchises. This time around, we're looking at the Space Quest franchise of computer games. I'm Matt, player one. With me is player two. Thrasher. And uh, we've been wanting to do Space Quest on this show for a long time. If you want to check out past episodes of the Video Game Sequel Cast, where we've talked about such uh, franchises as uh, Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog, you can do so at SequelCast.com or check out the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SequelCast. And if you like what you hear, why not donate? You can donate via PayPal at SequelCast.com slash donate. That's www.SequelCast.com slash donate. Okay. With that out of the way, Space Quest. You know, these were the main games in the series, at least. There was uh, six games in the series released between 1986 and 1995. They Which were actually surprised me. It had never occurred to me when I was doing research for this episode that this impressive body of games came out in just under a 10-year period. Well, think of how much advanced in technology and computer games. I mean, you can really look... The King's Quest games, perhaps more so, but in Space Quest, it's really the, uh, the evolution of the adventure game genre. From the beginning to the bitter end. Yeah, from the beginning to the bitter end, right. I mean, 95, 96 was sort of the, the death knell from them being wild, popular successes. And while that genre is still around and, you know, Telltale Games, which is filled with guys that used to work on LucasArts, uh, games like Maniac Mansion, still do things. They're not, they're a, a bit more action-oriented sometimes, and they're certainly not usually tied to a, a, a like The Walking Dead, I've heard, is a very good one. Have you played that one, Thrasher? Sadly, no. Okay, um, on PS3, 360, and uh, the PC and Macintosh. But, you know, that's sort of like the modern version of this kind of game. But Space Quest, it's really a, a good look at the whole genre as a whole. And it makes fun of science fiction, which is great fun. I mean, these games were, were for the most part, done by Mark Crow and Scott Murphy, who called themselves Two Guys from Andromeda. And later in the show, we'll talk about a uh, their latest game that they're working on, which is very much in the same vein as Space Quest. Although not in the same series. For legal reasons. <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, I guess before we start talking about this franchise, what was the first Space Quest game you played? The first uh, Space Quest game I played was, I believe... No, I know... It was Space Quest Two. Uh, I had a fr- my friend, my friend Mark in uh, in uh, middle school was a big fan of this franchise, and we used to have a uh, a locally run toy store within a few blocks of the neighborhood where we were both living. 
Uh, and we were just checking it out one day, and they had a rack with computer games, and on that rack was Space Quest Two, which was uh, which was a game in the franchise he had he had played at his father's house in Wisconsin. His, his parents were separated, but I don't think he'd ever gotten to the end of it. So he bought a copy, and we played through it together uh, over the weekend. And what uh, if I spoil the puzzle? Go ahead. Did you have a walkthrough, or you were just doing it? Oh no, we were just we were just playing it. We were just playing through. We didn't have a okay. walkthrough. But the thing is, one of the things he remembered from the original time he played it was that there's this point in the game where you get rescued by these little aliens, and you know they take and you, you they take you to their village, and there's stuff you can do in the village, but you can't actually leave the village. But when their chieftain's talking to you, he just says, "Whenever you're ready to leave, say the word." And he, for three days, my friend Mark uh, was stuck in this part of the game because yeah. he couldn't figure. I was like, "Leave type," because this was back when you had to type in commands into the game. So he's right. typing in "Leave Village," say "Leave Village," say "I want to leave Village," ask to leave Village, and like nothing's working. And 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 he said it took me three days, and I was like, "Oh, you, you have to literally say the word, don't you?" And he gives me this look. Damn it! How did you figure that out in seconds? It took me three days. <laughs> but it was just, it was it was a fun moment, and the game is and the games are are, are full of that kind of humor. <laughs> Pretty neat, yeah. I uh, the first one I played, you know, I didn't I didn't grow up playing a whole bunch of these, uh, you know, King's Quest and Space Quest kind of games. But I had a friend of mine who I uh, Eric Huchgalik, uh, who I met through the Boy Scouts, and. He was big. He had all the the compilations of all the games, and later I purchased them as well. And the first Space Quest I saw, I it must have been Space Quest Five: The Next Mutation. Hmm. Which, uh, if you're going to start with the Space Quest, isn't a bad one to start with. I think. I think we probably should start from the beginning, though. Well, absolutely, it's... sure. But I'm saying, if you're being introduced to the series, well, Space Quest Five is sort of a, you know, it starts with him at school, and then it kind of goes from there. So yeah, the very first Space Quest game was um, released in 1986, Space Quest The Syrian Encounter. And we should mention, you know, the kind of game that this is. It's an adventure game, and you controlled the main character, Roger Wilco, space janitor, uh, with the keyboard. But then to interact with things, you typed in what you wanted to do, like a text adventure like Zork. So you would, t- you would walk over to the door... And wait like ten years for the guy to walk across the screen and try not to fall in a pit, <laughs> and then you would type something like "open door," and it would say, "Oh, you need the key card." And then you'd, oh, if you happen to have the key card, you'd say like "open door with key card" or "use key card," yeah. and the door would open and you go to the next room. I mean, that's the basic way the gameplay worked in the older uh, Sierra games, of which this first Space Quest game is a part of. Yeah, and, and it's and and this was. Uh... And this was like, uh, I think it was like, I feel like it was like roughly 8-bit. Roger Wilco is this big, bulky stick figure. The only way you can really tell the difference between Roger Wilco and most of the other characters on screen is by different shirt colors. But one thing that's kind of, that's interesting about the first game compared to all the other ones is that it's actually not that funny. There's actually, mm. a, a, there's a handful of gags, but when it comes down to it, it's a fairly serious game. Uh and the the only I mean the the 
biggest joke and the one that comes right at the beginning is that you're playing a guy named Roger Wilco who is a janitor. He's not a daring space captain. He's not a brilliant engineer. He's the guy who's only really qualified to clean up the messes left behind by the really impressive people. Which conceptually is really cool. I mean, you you it's it's a great way to work it in every man. And in fact, the only reason in the first game, the game begins after the science vessel you're working on has been invaded by Sarian pirates. The only reason you haven't been killed with the rest of the crew is that you fell asleep in the closet. And I mean, and that they, beginning of the game is really quite hard and a bit more action oriented than you might think in a uh, adventure game of the time from Sierra. Yeah, because there's Sarians walking around your ship, and you have to avoid them. You have to hide in rooms and closets. And, and they kill they, you in one hit if they barely you. see you, so you sort of have to... Oh, yeah. A stealth element, like you said, of waiting in the closet for them to sneak past. And, and I mean, the, the humor in this first game, I think, is more when you die. It has funny messages that pop up. Oh, yeah. The, the narration, uh, when you look at things, describing what happens, is always really sarcastic in the Space Quest series. And perhaps that makes it hold up a bit better than some of the other, um, you know, the games like King's Quest or Leisure Suit Larry or so forth. Yeah, well, I mean, it took it. it the first game is is a serious game that doesn't take itself too seriously, and that's kind of its saving grace. And probably one of the reasons why it it, it you know, did well enough to to spawn a sequel. But another thing about you know. Uh, the original Space Quest, and this is something that carries through through most of the games, is that it really is an intimate experience. You can tell that this is a game crafted by a very small creative team. And that's something I really appreciate. Uh, the, the, when, I, when I look at the, the credits of modern video games, the more names I see on those credits, the less confidence I have in the game. Hmm. I just see a whole bunch of creative visions that are watering down the hole, but with Space Quests, it, it is clearly the two guys from Andromeda's games, and everybody and the few other people who are working on it with them are doing everything they can to make it the best game it can be. Although this episode is just focusing, or I mean, it's focusing on the whole series, I do want to touch on, I guess we can talk about it later, the remake of the first one. Yes, the first uh, game was remade as an SVGA talkie. Was it, was it a talkie? It, no, it was not yes. a talkie, no. Oh, you're right. It, it, it could have been. I mean, guys they had, from Andromeda... Yeah would talk to you, but no one else would. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, just titled Space Quest 1, Roger Wilco and the Sarian Encounter. Uh, the graphics have a nice, like, 1950s insect-alien vibe to them. Yeah. And uh, although with the controls with the mouse, it in some ways I think it made the beginning of the game more difficult. Well, actually, there there is... Uh, if space If the original Space Quest does have one horrendous flaw, it is a flaw that is thankfully corrected in the remake. Um, about two-thirds of the way through the original Space Quest, uh, you have to... Uh, you, ha- you have to buy... You have to buy a spaceship. And you start out... And you have very little money. That's and the right. Only way you- really yeah. have of earning money is by playing a slot machine in the bar, which is where one of the, the game's gags come from. But the thing is, in the original version, the slot machine is completely random. Uh, it is entirely possible to lose all of your money on that slot machine and the and you cannot play any further because without money, you can't bet money so you can't get money. And so the only way you can really get through that section, and it can take up to an hour uh, is by any time you win money, saving the game, and then any time you lose money, restoring from your last save. 
and it is time consuming and frustrating uh, and you're just so totally at the, wh- at the whim of fate. Thankfully, in the remake, one of the very first things you can do if you examine the chamber uh, where the secret device is that the science vessel is experimenting with, you can find uh, an old electromagnet. Then in the remake, when you get to that part of the game with the slot machine, you can use the electromagnet on the slot machine, and it screws up the machine so that you always win, and then you're out of that section in, in a, about a minute and a half. Yeah, that remake came out in 91, and it's funny you mentioned that a whole bunch of those um, you know, early Sierra games had at the climax, maybe because the casino games were popular, you had to you know, win at slot machines or win at poker or blackjack uh, to get to the final, to get near the end of the game. You had to do that in Police Quest 1, you had to do that in Leisure Suit Larry 1, um, and, and you know, Space Quest 1. That never occurred to me before, but you're right. It's not always a slot machine. I, I remember, I think it was uh, either poker or blackjack. You could choose in Leisure Suit Larry. And um, there was something else in the first police quest where you're pretending like you're someone else to get access to uh, the Death Angel, the main criminal in that game. But that, that's a story for another episode of the video game sequel cast. Here we're focusing on Space Quest. Moving on to Space Quest 2, Volhall's Revenge, released in 1987, just one year after the original. And, you know, it's done with the same uh, engine, and the graphics look very similar to Space Quest 1. Yeah, there are some subtle improvements with the graphics, but it's it's no great technological leap. And uh, this was the first one you played, Thrasher. Um, yep. I thought Space Quest 2 was a bit disappointing there was a puzzle in here that drove me mad and it's not even a puzzle it was so some of these old sierra games had arcade elements and as we mentioned you control the guy with the the keyboard with the arrow keys moving him around and early in the game you crash land on this planet you got to figure out what to do and there's this plant with all these vines that snake all around and you got to save your game and reload a zillion times to sneak around because if you barely touch the pixel on the edge of the plant you die and you got to go all through this kind of maze of this plant to get one little item and then walk all the way back out it took me days and punching the wall and screaming (laughs) that is a very frustrating part of the game and that's and partly like because it is it is a good idea for a challenge it's just that the technology and the controls are, are, are so not up to the task that it is very difficult to it takes a lot of practice to be able to get through there without dying several times yeah and and i mean to be fair that kind of sequence was not uncommon at the time yeah it is interesting to note you know in 1988 space quest 2 was listed number 4 out of sierra's top 5 best selling games up to that point. Sold over 100,000 copies. Yeah, and, and this is also the game where the or where the series sense of humor really started to take shape and, and, and start to become a major focus of the game. There's references to the Tasmanian Devil. There's that whole puzzle where you have to literally say the word to get out of the alien village. There's the fact that the villain's master plan... Hmm involves sending out cloned insurance salesmen to commit massive insurance fraud. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the puzzles in this one are a bit more obtuse than what was in the first game. And it, it seems like they were still trying to... They had the humor, but they hadn't quite touched on what makes Space Quest Space Quest, I think. 
well, p- part of part of comedy is timing, and sadly, with like these eight bit pre VGA graphics, I think it was pre VGA graphics, like there's yes, yeah. and, and just processing speed and whatnot. You really can't get really good comic timing. Although it's interesting, uh, Infamous Adventures uh, released a uh, a remake of Space Quest Two done in the VGA style with the full voice acting and everything. Oh, cool! I got to check that you out. Can get for free from. Uh, Oh, pitch from their box. website. Yeah, from uh, infamous-adventures.com. Oh, although um, Vohol's Revenge does have what I consider to be one of the grimmest uh, puzzles in any adventure game, because mm-hmm. towards the end, because the the villain, the Vohol. Uh, is this uh, is this you know, evil mad scientist from your home planet? And he looks kind of like very, the Baron Har- Harkonnen from Doom. He does kind of have that look to him, but also he's hooked up to life support. He's like kept alive by all the by these machines. And at one point towards the end of the game, Roger Wilco gets shrunken down to like the size of a cockroach, and you can get inside the machines in his lab and retinker with them. And one of the machines is his life support. And you can, for all intents and purposes, turn off his lungs and turn off the circulation of his blood. You never see what this actually does, but it's just mm. so it, – I always found it really creepy because you can't see what's happening. You just end up imagining Vohol like clutching his chest and flailing as, as the machines keeping him alive start to shut down. The next game in the series uh, might be – might be one of my favorites, I think. It's Space Quest Three: uh-huh. The Pirates of Pestulon, released in 1989. Which it's, used to be the hardest one to find. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's still the, the same gameplay of moving around with the keyboard and, and typing in the commands as uh, what to do. But the graphics are a good bit better in Space Quest Three than in Space Quest One or Two, And you can use the mouse to at least click to where you want to walk which can help things a little bit. Yep. So it's not the full mouse-driven interface, but having the mouse to help you get to places instead of having to hold down on the, you know, tap the keys to get him to walk or run is kind of nice. And this one, you know, he's floating in space, Roger Wilco is, and he, he's captured by a garbage freighter, and you you wake you awaken and you get a really detailed close-up of Roger Wilco waking up, and you're being chased for most of the game by a knockoff of the Terminator called the Annihilator. Yes, because in the second game, you you set, you you filled out an order form and sent off in the mail for a, a whistle that mimicked the mating call of this one monster on the planet you're on, which you used to save one of the puzzles. Well, it turns out you paid, you, you included improper postage and because you've been in suspended animation since the second game long enough for that improper postage to become a massive debt. So this robot's been sent to assassinate you on behalf of a debt collection agency. What do you think of some of the mini-games in this one? Uh, they're actually, uh, generally speaking, I, I think they're really fun. I, li- I, I like it when you can uh, fly around in the, in the uh, aluminum mallard uh, and and you know sh- and shoot down starfighters. I like the arcade game you can play at the Astro Burger. Although that this is one of the interesting things because one of the twists with the Pirates of Pestulon is that the big heroic act you end up performing is that 
you end up rescuing the two guys from Andromeda who are being used as slave labor in a software company and are being forced to make games against their will. Uh, and in fact, that's the premise of the game. Due to a wormhole, they end up dropped off on Earth and get jobs at the Sierra Company. But the thing is, the way you're supposed to find out that the two guys from Andromeda need rescuing is that if you beat the game Astro Chicken, you get a coded message. And if you use the decoder ring to decode the message, it's, it's their SOS. Uh, and it tells you where to find them and what kind of peril they're in. The thing is... Uh, you don't know you have to beat Astro Chicken, and it is a tricky game. So most people I know, including me, never beat Astro Chicken, never got that coded message. But mm. thankfully, you can still beat the game and rescue the two guys from Andromeda, even if you don't get that message. I, I seem to recall I haven't played this game in a while, uh, like I should have, I guess, as research. But isn't there a big scene that's sort of like in a McDonald's kind of setting? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the Astro Burger. Uh, you one of the okay, first places right. you can go after you you repair the aluminum mallard and escape from the garbage scow is that you can uh, is you can go there for a snack and you can also pick up you can also pick up some useful items, interact with other characters. And although Space Quest Three is uh, fairly short, from what I remember, it's really focused. I think has really tight pacing. Very true. It's 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 uh, it's short as far as these adventure games go, but there's no fat on it. Yeah, and you mentioned the ending is about you know them going to Sierra online, or it's just called Sierra, I guess, at the time, to talk to software developers and you know inspire the making of the first game. That was basically the same ending as Least Pursuit Larry Three. Yeah, the Sierra really got into the swing of having a lot of self-referential humor. Like I know, like you beat Ken Williams at the end of Space Quest Three. I know yeah. that a parody of Ken Williams shows up in all of the Leisure Suit Larry games. That's true. Yeah, he's the drunk at the bar in the first one. He's a uh, Chief Kenny Wawa. Oh, wow. <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry too. He's right. the balloon animal guy on Leisure Suit Larry Love for Sale, and all of his balloon animals look like penises, but then he has some elaborate narrative of why they're not actually penises. <laughs> it's like, look, this one's Godzilla, this one's Mothra, now they're fighting! Oh, jeez. That's <laughs> great. Space Quest Three: The Pirates of Pestilon. Um, so two years later in 91, I would say this is like the first real huge budget Space Quest release, because it got a CD-ROM release with voices and everything. Including narration by Gary Owens. Oh, yeah. oh man. And Gary Owens, uh, the two guys from Andromeda, uh, on their latest game, which is in the style of Space Quest, called Space Venture, they're getting Gary Owens back to do narration. Oh, that's groovy. And uh, I guess I can talk about that now briefly. You know, the, the two guys from Andromeda, which was their nicknames back in Sierra, they are doing a... Um, through Kickstarter, they funded a game, an adventure game called Space Venture, and for legal reasons, it's not Space Quest, but it seems to be very similar in tone. The main the spiritual successor. Spiritual successor. The main character is called Ace uh, Hardway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but their, their game Space Venture is a sci-fi comedy adventure game that combines interplanetary exploration, puzzle solving, and space travel, not to mention pant loads of pop culture satire and some good, clean, potty humor. So, it, it, the a tagline about the character is, your crap is his bread and butter. <laughs> so that, that looks very 
amusing, and I'm not sure when the full game comes out, but if you want to... They have a very interesting podcast over at guysfromandromeda.com where they talk to people that made other Sierra games like Police Quest and even have um, audio commentaries that plays over a video of all the games in the Space Quest series. So we know if they keep to the old Sierra work ethic, it will be released when it is done. Very true. So if you want to check all that stuff out, go to guysfromandromeda.com. Um, and also you can check out our website at sequelcast.com to check out our other podcasts like Sequelcast, which looks at film franchises one film at a time, Sequel Commentary, which is audio commentaries for sequels or cult films, and Sequelcast Special about film topics at large. All of that you can download at sequelcast.com, and you can donate at sequelcast.com slash donate. So we've uh, about halfway through here talking about the Space Quest franchise. Space Quest Four: Roger Wilco and the Time Rippers. Uh, this used the mouse uh, icon interface, so you don't have to type anything anymore. Thank goodness. But you could right-click and switch between different icons like walk, uh, lick, walk, examine, smell, interact, pick speak. up, speak. Right. It made the games easier to play, but made some puzzles really frustrating too, because you had to be very exact on the cursor, where you had to click to uh, pick up certain items. And um, as we mentioned briefly, Space Quest Four also got a CD-ROM released with the uh, voice acting. And it's pretty good voice acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just the fact that they went straight to Gary Owens is brilliant. He is one of my favorite announcers, if not my absolute favorite announcer. What is he the announcer from? Well, he uh, he was originally, he was he was an announcer, because I think, I think originally he was a DJ, but he was the announcer on Laugh-In. Uh, he did he did narration for lots of documentaries on, on dinosaurs in the early days of cable. He... Uh, he 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 appears. He does narr- He did narration in a lot of uh, a lot of cartoons. He was Gary Owens, and he had a voice that sounded like this: Roger Wilco, Space Guy. Also, he was the honorary mayor of Hollywood, California. Mm. And like he's just this kind of perfect, kind of cheesy narrator. And he's the he's the best of the best when it comes to cheesy narration. I mean, the plot of Space Quest Four: Roger Wilco and the Time Rippers is very uh, complicated. You know, well, it's, it's a time travel story. It, it is. And, you know, it's about Vora Hall, who is the, the villain for Space Quest 1 and 2. He's getting his revenge. You time travel to Space Quest games that never, ever came out. Well, that's that's the brilliant thing, is once you get access to the time machine, you can travel into... Like, you don't travel to dates in the future or the past. You travel into sequels and prequels. So you don't travel into the future, you travel into Space Quest 12. And you don't travel into the past, you travel into Space Quest 1. Hmm. And it's just, and it's, that's just a brilliant little conceit. And what I love is that when you travel into past Space Quest games, they use the old graphics. But Roger Wilco is still SVGA. So when yes. you travel into Space right. Quest 1, it's, Rog, it's SVGA Roger Wilco walking around in an 8-bit environment, interacting with 8-bit characters. To rephrase that, so it's like having a, a 256-color main character interacting in like a 4-color or a 16-color environment. Yes, and and that actually leads to some of the game's best jokes because, like, when you go to the bartender, the bartender is just this blocky guy with like a very poor, almost synthesized voice, and one of your antagonists in the past are the Monochrome Boys, a biker gang <laughs> that 
can't be rend- that is rendered in monochrome because their technology is so primitive they can't be rendered in color. One thing I really like about Space Quest Four is there's a whole sequence in a shopping mall. Oh, yeah. If you look at the video game store, everything is a parody of like a, a computer game at the time. And they take a lot of digs at LucasArts in that one. Yeah, there is one sp- specifically. Uh, Boom, the parody of Loom. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Give me a moment. Um, be, talk about something was, else about Space Quest Four. Oh, okay. Well, actually, there's lots of there's lots of just uh, mini in the mall. Particularly, there's just lots of little mini games you can play. Because uh, again, in the mall, you do need money. One of the things you can do to earn money is by getting a job at uh, a temporary job at this fast food restaurant. I think it's another Astro Burger. Uh, and in that one, you play a game kind of like Burger Time. Only instead of filling out specific burger orders, since it's all like shitty fast food, all the burgers have to be identical, but the burgers start getting run through the conveyor belt faster and faster, and it's harder to keep up getting the burgers arranged right with the patty, the ketchup, the onions, and whatnot. And also your ingredients don't necessarily refresh as fast as you need them, so it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes. Uh, then there's also a new – there's Miss Astro Chicken, Flight of the Pullet, which you can play there. Oh, and one of the fun things about the arcade games in Space Quest IV uh, is that they were bundled together and released as their own separate uh, their own separate program. I don't remember what it was called. It was like uh, – actually, no, I think it was the – it might have been the Roger Wilco spaced out uh, – Game pack. Game, yeah, it was the Roger Wilco yeah. spaced out game pack, which included yeah yeah the Monolith Burger, the Miss Astro Chicken, the Hover Speeder mini game from the remake of Space Quest One, and it was pretty fun. I, re- I remember uh, when my sister was in the hospital at one point uh, to keep her entertained. Uh, she had uh, my grandfather had lent her his his laptop, and I had installed the, the that game pack on it because she really enjoyed those mini games. Uh-huh. Yeah, here's the the bit of uh, dialogue from Space Quest Four, which I'll perform in the style of Gary Owens. Excellent. Uh, spoofing the game Loom. The latest bomb from master storyteller Maury Brian Arty, Boom is a post-Holocaust adventure set in post-Holocaust America after the Holocaust. Neutron bombs have eradicated all life, leaving only you to wander through the wreckage. No other characters, no conflicts, no puzzles, no chance of dying, and no interface make this the easiest to finish game yet. Just boot it up and watch it explode. Boom! On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants. And a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast about the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, where we delve the depths of pop culture history. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The, the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. Or... But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's Shh. arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's... read Dune! You have, no, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Uh, and I love the artwork because it looks just like the box of loot. Oh the, yeah, yeah, with the, the font and everything. That's uh, yeah, except that the, great. the it says boom. The string has been replaced with an explosion, and the fingers of the hands are being ripped off by the force of the blast. <laughs>
It's, and I, I think it's even funny, and I really like the game Loom, uh, for the record. Um, oh, good game. Yeah. But Space Quest Four might be the highlight in the series as far as its creativity, I think. Yeah, and one of the things – yeah, true. It does have a lot of great, really creative ideas. I love that you never really learn how to use the time machine. You just have to sort of figure out – you have to find other people's time machines and like figure out the codes they've already entered into it to kind of figure out where you're supposed to go. Uh, I like that you can travel into all of the other games, however briefly. One thing that uh, that also stands out is one of the characters you meet is uh, Roger Wilco's son from the future. And one of the things he shows you is a hologram of the woman that Roger, uh, Beatrice, the woman that Roger Wilco is eventually supposed to fall in love with and marry. And this becomes important later on in the series. And she's a character in Space Quest V, right? Yes, Roger Wilco finally meets Beatrice in Space Quest V, and it turns out she is a uh, she is a diplomat negotiator. Yeah, Space Quest V, I think, is perhaps has like the best written dialogue and stuff of the series. It it's it's snappy. Yeah, I mean, after Space Quest Four, um, the creators of uh, Space Quest sort of had a, a falling out, wanted to do different things. Scott Murphy and Mark Crow. So in Space Quest V, Mark Crow um, kind of did the game uh, with his crew by himself without Scott Murphy's help, and he designed it with David Sell. And uh, yeah, Space Quest V, the next mutation. It's um, it's a real epic story again, like Star it, uh, Space Quest. I almost said Star Trek, like Space Quest IV. Well, it's an it's an epic story, but it's also a mixed bag, and I really don't feel the epic story helps. I like the character of Captain Quirk. That's a parody of uh, Captain Kirk. And you get the whole Star Trek vibe with you go through uh, Starfleet Academy and you go through these plant. you go to some planets with very heavy environmental themes. Yeah, there's a whole environmental undercurrent that runs through the whole game. But some of the most entertaining stuff in this game actually happens at the beginning because you find – because it – uh, you find out that Roger Wilco, after Space Quest Four, Roger Wilco has decided to do something with his life, so he's entered uh, officer's training at his home planet's equivalent of Starfleet. And, and it, the game actually opens with a really fun kind of Kobayashi Maru parody. Hmm. Uh, and and you do some really you do some really fun stuff. You get to do some janitorial work, sadly, but then you also get to take the officer's exam, which is really fun because you have to find you have to figure out who in the class is good, in uh, who knows their subjects, so that you can cheat off of their papers. But also, all of the questions in the officer's exam are fucking hilarious. Like there's one of the like the physics question: How fast does light travel through a vacuum? And like, and one of the answers is like the sp- is the actual speed of light. One of the answers is an incorrect version of the speed of light. And then another question is uh, is depends is the, is it an upright vacuum or uh, is a vertical or upright vacuum like <laughs> the appliance? And they all have something like that. But, and I, I will say this, once you get out, once you become a starship captain, you become captain of the fleet's best garbage scow, the game really loses a lot of its sense of humor. Yeah, it's almost like you set up these characters when you go to a bunch of adventures, and then maybe it feels like they just had to finish it a bit more quickly than they would have liked. I mean, this came well, out I think it's just the, in 93. 
be, because in the other games you're you've got these funny antagonists and you're put in these funny situations. But in Space Quest Five, once you get out into space, you're just doing a job. And then you uncover this plot involving burying toxic waste on other planets. And it's just – it seems like a, a too heavy a subject uh, for for what is supposed to be a comedy sci-fi game. So you think it might have been a plot more suited for like an educational game? Well, an, edu- an educational game or at least executed fun- in, a, in a funnier, funner way. Because, like, right off the bat, like, the the toxic waste, it mutates you into a monster, but the monsters aren't particularly hideous and aren't particularly evil. You you never really, like, you never really hate Captain Quirk, even though he's one of the people responsible for this plot. I I feel like the game needs a really good villain, and that that villain should be profiting from the, or gaining something from the toxic waste in a more creative way, like with Vohull and his intergalactic insurance salesman clones, or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's... Oh! Although, like, and I think I think another reason is most of this game's humor is actually found in its copy protection. Uh, this game was made back when copy protection were, was starting to become a real thing in computer games. But during this early stage, copy protection was really, really creative. And so the way they handled copy protection in this game is that after you get your starship, whenever you want to travel to another solar system, you have to enter coordinates into your navigation computer. But you don't have... Any, but you don't have any coordinates. All of the coordinates are in an advice column in a tabloid magazine, the like Galactic Inquirer that was packaged with the game. And it's a full like 16-page magazine, and it is fucking hilarious. I remember this game had some sort of sprint uh, commercial in the middle of it. Yes! At the time this came out, uh, Sierra had... Re- had had uh, developed a product endorsement deal with Sprint, and so one of the running gags in Space Quest is whenever the uh, and it, well, it starts as a gag. It kind of does get annoying and way too product placementy. But whenever you uh, whenever you're hailed by another ship, uh, the Sprint logo comes on the screen before communication channels are open, and it's like this hyperspace transmission brought to you by Sprint. Uh, Sprint also shows up, I think, in the Police Quest game of this time period. Um, might have even shown up in one of the Gabriel Knight games, although I'm not 100% sure because I don't think I ever played the second one. I think it came up in uh, Leisure Suit Larry 5. That's yeah, product, yeah. product placement there. So, I mean, from Space Quest 5 in uh, 93, you go two years later to 95 with Space Quest 6, Roger Wilco and the Spinal Frontier. The uh, series Death Knell. Yeah. Scott Murphy worked on this along with Josh Mandel. And. I really don't like the graphics in this game. Yeah, they, they look go really for, plain. They well, they go for a really bland cartoon look, which isn't all that successful. All the other Space Quest games, even the most graphically limited Space Quest games, all had a real clear visual style, and this game really doesn't. The backgrounds are at odds with the characters. The characters themselves are just kind of bland. Roger Wilco's character design just does not look like anything. Hmm. This, like, like I, I, I hate to say it, because while I did enjoy this game, I probably enjoyed it the least of all the Space Quest games. Uh, it's not bad, but it 
it is so underwhelming. And one of the first mistakes that they make is that, okay, so Space Quest 4, Roger Wilco learns that there's a woman he's going to fall in love with and marry. Space Quest 5, he he meets that woman and starts a relationship with her. Space Quest 6, this woman is written out of the game with one line of dialogue. Only one line of dialogue acknowledges that this character exists. And what does the line of dialogue say, more or less? The 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 line uh, the dialogue. Um, well, well, right off the bat, they work in a different romantic interest, and all the the Be- Beatrice is just written out with the line. Besides, if Beatrice finds out, she'll be wearing my she'll be uh, wearing my sphincter as a necklace or some some lame line like that involving his sphincter sphincter and a, pay, a pair, piece of jewelry. I think also this game. For some reason, I just found the tone more depressing than you would expect from Space Quest. Well, it doesn't help that at the beginning of the game, you go yeah. on shore leave on this depressing, bland planet. Like a, don't really get to do Obviously much. a Blade Runner-inspired sort of planet. Yeah. Where the funniest can... part is the liquor store, because every bottle of liquor has a sci-fi pun name, like <laughs> Samuel Douglas Adams. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the plot really takes a lot to get going. You know, you, you get kind of like an inner space sort of moment near the end of the game, which is why the whole thing is called Spinal Frontier. Which is not nowhere near as good as the original title, because uh, the love interest is a uh, Corpsman Santiago, and so the original title was Where in Corpsman Santiago is Roger Wilco, which <laughs> is hilarious, but apparently Borabund, who was publishing the Carmen Sandiego games, threatened them with legal action, so they dropped it. Hmm. But yeah, and, and even though like that's the whole thing the game is building to, once you get miniaturized and go into their body, it's really bland. And like it's not it's it's not that long, it's not that interesting. It doesn't feel all that challenging. And and again, we have a villain that we don't really get to hate. The villain is this woman who wants to achieve immortality. Uh, and her original plan is to take Roger Wilco's body because he's the one person in the universe no one will miss, so no one will notice when he when he starts acting differently. But then at the end, for absolutely no reason, goes after Corpsman Santiago. And then, like, the only thing in this game I really liked is that early on in the game, you find a fish, and you can never use it and never get rid of it. And multiple times in the game, like, Characters will go, oh, here, you forgot your fish, and will throw the fish at you. And it gets more decomposed and more rancid as the game progresses. Hmm. Oh, and another thing. Um, even though this game came out on CD-ROM before uh, CD burners were available for home computers, they still kept in, uh, they still kept in uh, copy protection. And right. it's the most frustrating copy protection I have ever seen. What's so frustrating about it? I don't remember this. Uh... Well, part of the game's manual is like a janitorial, uh, is like a, a janitorial trade magazine. Okay. Because you've been bumped because of what happened in this previous game, you've been bumped back down to janitor. Um, and so uh, early, about a quarter of the way through the game when you uh, you get a whole... No, actually, no, I take that back. This is actually very early in the game, probably a sixth of the way through. You get this broken machine you have to gather the parts for and repair, but nothing in the game tells you how to repair this machine. The advice column in this janitorial magazine in the manual does tell you how to build the machine, but it doesn't tell you how to build it. It gives you this complicated list of instructions 
of what parts can't go with other parts. So you have to use this web of elimination logic to figure out what are, to figure out the only possible functional arrangement those parts go into. And it just takes forever and it's very frust- difficult to figure out and you kind of have to work backwards in the worst possible way. Hmm. And and this was also back in a time before there before the GameFAQs website, so you couldn't just do an internet search for a walkthrough because you might not actually find one. Right. I think we've had you know in Space Quest Seven they tried to do over the years nothing really came of it. At one point it was going to be I think like a multiplayer game where everyone played different versions of Roger Wilco. That um, would have been fun if you could have done a multiverse sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, at one point there was going to be a game simply called Space Quest that just would have been an action game on the Xbox. Which I'm glad didn't happen, because yeah, these really shouldn't, shouldn't be action games. Happen, and I think it's Activision now is who has the the rights to the Space Quest name, but they're not really doing anything with it. So there's a lot of Space Quest fan games out there that you can check online. Uh, yeah, actually, there's a fan game that takes place between Space Quest 2 and 3, where it's all about an adventure that Roger Wilco has when he, he comes out of suspended animation temporarily, has an adventure, then goes back into suspended animation. Hmm. And it uses the classic graphics. Interesting. That's uh, Space Quest The Lost Chapter? I think that's the title. Okay. But, I mean, there was also a comic book series, which I have been trying to track down. Sadly, I have uh, – the, my investigations have not borne fruit. I found it once on an online auction site, but wasn't able to purchase it. Hmm. So, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion here of the Space Quest games. Now let's, uh, you know, if you want to purchase them, uh, probably the easiest way to do so is through uh, good old games. If you go to www.gog.com, they sell Space Quest 1 through 3 uh, and Space Quest 4 through 6 in two different packs for $10 a piece for Windows uh, computers. Uh, It runs on XP Vista, Windows 7, and Windows 8, so... Although they've been having more Macintosh stuff on there, so. I'll have to check that stuff out. Maybe they'll port that over. Um, so I think before we talk about what we've been playing, I was thinking of a, a segment to add to the show. Where yeah. we think of a, a piece of music from this uh, the franchise that we're talking about to discuss. Ah, uh-huh. good choice. A music moment. You know, in- interesting story. Uh, when I when I was at the height of my Space Quest fandom, I was in my I was in my high school band, and our music director got a hold of a computer program where if you loaded a MIDI music file into this computer program, it would turn that MIDI music file into sheet music. Hmm. And I begged, and and I had a MIDI file of the Space Quest theme pulled from the the CD-ROM for Space Quest Six, and I begged, begged, begged for our band director to take uh, that MIDI and deconstruct it into sheet music for the Space Quest theme for me. Sadly, he would not do it. I think he was concerned about possible rights issues or something. Hmm, that's too bad. 
I did try to teach myself how to play it on the saxophone. I was marginally successful. I love the Space Quest theme. It's evocative of sci-fi adventure, and they just do some brilliant variations on it. Cool. I, uh, you know, a piece of music for Space Quest that I think was a good arrangement is the beginning of Space Quest Three has an arrangement of the Space Quest theme done by. Uh, Bob Siebenberg, who was the drummer for Supertramp. Oh, that's cool. And it, it just has a lot of character to it. It has a good synthesized feel. And it's just a real rich arrangement of that theme. So that's the piece of music that I take away from the Space Quest series. Well, actually, the, the other... I mean, as much as I like the theme... I I love the uh, Fester Blatz tune, which shows up in Space Quest Three and Space Quest Six. That it just it just sounds like the perfect music for this slovenly alien shopkeeper running his skeevy shop. Hmm. It it just it just it fits what's what happens in the game during those moments. Although, do you remember from Space Quest Six the Soylent Clear theme? No. Oh, I can't believe you forgot. You actually, back in college, Matt actually burned me a CD of music from the Space Quest games. It was really cool. But one of the things it had in Space Quest Six, and keep in mind, this was a dated reference back then, but in the early 90s, there was a product called Crystal Pepsi. It was Pepsi that didn't taste like Pepsi, and it had no color. It just it was clear. It looked like fizzy water. So in Space Quest Six, and this is several years after the fact, they had a uh, when you're in the internet part of the game, you uh, you can play a uh, commercial for this new product called Soylent Clear, and it's just this hilarious little uh, commercial jingle. You know, the world's a great big ball of dirt with fifty million souls. Who like to sit around and veg down in the dark like moles. But me, I'm That's just right. the kind of girl that likes the open air. With lots of unburned hydrocarbons flowing through my hair. New soil and clear, at last it's here with clearly better taste. Less people too, like me and you, and less reprocessed waste. For a hearty month, for for a hearty crunch in snack or lunch, it's clearly plain to see that Soylent Clear is the last frontier for folks like you and me. Soylent Clear, clearly less people, clearly less filling, mm. clearly more taste. It was a fun little moment, and I like that jingle. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that they took the time to put that into the game, even if it was a dated reference. I will play a clip from that and a clip from the Space Quest 3 version of the Space Quest theme at the end of the show. Groovy. So, um, now we're going to move on to what you're playing. And you were uh, complaining to me uh, via text message about a game you've talked about before. I guess you 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 beat it, I guess? Dead Space I 3? Fi- yes, I finally finished Dead Space 3. Okay, so what's your what's your big beef with Dead Space 3? You had some concerns talking about it initially. Well, yeah, like like I said, I was I, I was feeling at the time I was feeling like it was a very incomplete game experience, and I still do feel like it was an incomplete game experience. It, it is it is a game that clearly was not done cooking. If it was pizza, half the crust would have still been dough. Mm. 
you know, it 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 does it just it does not try to be horror. Uh, it it marginally qualifies as science fiction. It re- it really is just a military action game that desperately wants to be a first person shooter, but because the series has always been third person, they don't make it. it it's still third person. Um, the I am so thoroughly because the first the first two games used uh, save points, and the and I don't mind the save points in the first two games. The save points worked, and they were strategically located. They were where they needed to be. Uh, space uh, Space Quest Dead Space Three uses an auto save feature that is barely functional. Uh, it saves. It appears to save just randomly throughout the game. It doesn't save during sections of the game where it would be really nice to have a goddamn save. If I can't control when it saves, and that's the other thing, you can tell the game to save by going to the menu, but it doesn't save your progress. It only saves the items you have collected. So if you die, you're gonna you're gonna still have the stuff you have, but you're gonna go to your previous save, no matter how far back that was. And th- I almost had a fit during the climax of this game because you have to like race through this crumbling planet to get to this vaguely defined objective. Uh, and it's very easy to die. And even though you can take these brief pauses to kind of get a breather before the different obstacles on this race, uh, it never saves. At no point during this chase do you save. So if you spend 15 goddanged minutes outrunning bad guys, blowing up obstacles, and trying to get to this goal, if you die before, if you're within seconds from getting that goal, you're going to have to start back over from the beginning of that whole 15-minute long section. Uh, and making it worse, nothing about that sequence is randomized. So you know exactly where the monsters are going to jump out because they always jump out at the same place at the same time. Also, and they don't make this clear entering this segment of the game, there's like this wall of destruction that's on your tail. So if you don't run fast enough or hold still to to solve an obstacle, you will just die if that wall of destruction catches up to you. It's just, it is just so thoroughly frustrating. And then... They oh they don't they don't end the game with a with a jump scare or a comment on a jump scare which is a nice unifying element in the first two and also and I don't give a crap if I spoil it uh they do a half-ass job of killing off the main character Isaac at the climax of the game then after the credits you hear Isaac's voice so he's not dead but by then I didn't know but by then I figured he probably wasn't dead but by then I didn't care. And I just – I feel so pissed off that the game tried to manipulate me by making me think that Isaac sacrificed himself and died. Yeah, they got to keep him alive for the sequel, I guess. Um, that's too bad. You know, I, I've been playing a game called Injustice Gods Among Us. Huh. It is done by the people that made Mortal Kombat. It's a fighting game with the DC Comics characters. Does that work? Because, like, I've seen fighting games with DC comic characters in the past, and they never quite work for me. You know, I think it's better than, uh, what is it called, DC Universe versus Mortal Kombat. Mm. It um, it has a story mode that I'm about halfway through. It seems a bit shorter than what was in Mortal Kombat. But then, as single-player content, there's, like, a, well over 100 levels where it's, like, different challenges. 
and these brief maps with the loose stories wrapped around it. But the main story mode is like, uh, do you want me to tell you about a little bit, Thrasher? Oh, no, go right ahead. Tell me if you think it'd be interesting. Because um, I think the way these characters look are really detailed and cool, and it makes me wish that they would um, do an animated movie just with the, with the engine and with the way the characters look in the game, I think look more interesting to me than how they look in some of the uh, direct-to-video animated DC films they've done. But basically, Superman, I think it's like in an alternate, like an Elseworld, I don't know what they call it, a DC Infinity's setting. Uh, Elseworlds is, yeah, they're, they're the parallel Elseworlds, universes. Right. So, the Joker somehow gets Superman to hallucinate that uh, Doomsday is in his, his house trying to kill him. And so Superman kills uh, Doomsday. But then he gets to his senses and realizes he didn't kill Doomsday. He killed Lois Lane and his own son. Oh, God! Yeah. So, uh, so driven mad, he um, basically kills the other heroes or kind of makes backdoor deals with the heroes and villains that still want to work with him. And Earth is ruled by one government, ruled by Superman. Meanwhile, in the normal setting, they, like, cross dimensions, basically. And you get the the various versions of um, the like Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, the Joker, and all this stuff from different dimensions battling each other, trying to see how they can get Superman to uh, to his senses to not have a uh, and also to get back to where they're from and not have this crazy setting that they're in. And the story mode kind of cycles you through the different uh, characters. And they have Kevin Conroy voices Batman again. The actor that voiced Superman in the Superman cartoon from the 90s voices that part again. Hmm. But otherwise, I'm not sure how similar the voices are. Like, Mark Hamill does not do the Joker. Um, instead, it's a, a sound-alike. That's kind of a, I think if they, if they didn't go with... If they're not going with Mark Hamill, I think they really should go with someone who can put their own stamp on the Joker. Yeah, you know, the, I don't recall the actor's name. He's a voice actor, but he's not, like, a big name. I, I Sadly, I don't remember what his name is. But you can tell he's going for the intonation of Mark Hamill. But then his voice is a bit deeper, too, so it seems just slightly off. Mm. And... I don't know, just, just starting a, a, a DC hero game and a game centered around Superman with Superman killing his wife and child is just so unappealing and such a betrayal. Well, they don't the show that the in the game. They talk about it. I don't it. give a damn. It's part they of the They do it game. in the comic. Yeah, no, it's certainly part of the comic. And it's, they talk, it's part of the backstory. And they talk it's about so they it can, in the game. Like, why can't... I guess my question is, if you want to do a DC, uh, any superhero fighting game why do you need an elaborate setup why can't you just say here's a game where we give you the characters to play with have at it well you went silly setup uh so to try to explain how like characters like harley quinn can fight wonder woman and not get pulverized oh god uh are you ready for this thrasher you'll like this one i bet i won't <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a pill made of kryptonian elements that while not giving them Superman strength, give them Superman endurance. God dang it. <laughs> it's... Oh! <laughs> so, the, I don't know if that's... Pull, they never need to pull that shit when these characters face each other in the comics. They get creative. Oh. But I'm finding the game really fun, especially for the, the equivalent of fatalities 
instead are these super moves you do in the middle of a match. And you don't have to memorize a complex sequence to put it in. You just have to tap uh, L2 and R2 or the triggers, you know, when you build up your meter enough. And they're so over-the-top and ridiculous, it's very funny. For instance, Batman um, calls the Batmobile in to run you over. That's like, okay, that's cute. I he like He punches that. you a few times, and then he like pushes a little button on the side of his helmet and the Batmobile he like leaps over the Batmobile on a backward flip as the Batmobile like runs you over and it knocks away a quarter of your energy. It, uh, do they have one for Superman where he flies up into outer space, grabs a moon and throws it at you? Uh basically, he grabs you into space and I think tosses you in the ground. The one for Aquaman, he summons all these fish and then a giant white shark comes and chomps you. Oh, cool. So it's, uh, I think it's well done. I think it's fun if you like DC comic characters like I do, and it has a lot of fun uh, multiplayer features. But, you know, if you don't like, it's done by the guys that did Mortal Kombat. It's a very similar fighting system. Uh, you might want to wait on it. But if you want to check out, like, a free simplified version of it, there's an app uh, of it for the iPhone hmm. that uses touch controls. That's pretty fun, too. I don't have an iPhone, but... Okay, well, if any of the listeners do, that's a direct... I, I, I'm having fun with that. It's something different. I like a fighting that's game every now and then. So... I, I don't mean to be so ranty. I just, as as a game, as a freelance game designer, I, I feel very passionately about, about games and gaming. Understandable. Um, so I hope you like this episode of the Video Game Sequel Cast, looking at the Space Quest games... Check out other episodes at SequelCast.com. What are we going to do uh, next week, or next time on Video Game Sequel Cast, Thrasher? Isn't it your pick? I I thought I picked I guess it is my pick. You picked Space Quest. I think it would be fun to look at another adventure game. uh, Oh, no. Scratch that. Okay. Let's do uh, Wind Commander. Oh, cool. Good choice. So next week on video, uh, next time on video game sequel cast, we'll look at the Wind Commander games for video game sequel cast. This is Matt. Follow me on Twitter at sequel cast. This is Player Two Thrasher. You can find me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Same. It's Roger Wilco, Space Guy. Less people too, like me and you, and less meat processed waste. More hearty crunch for snacks or lunch. It's crystal clear to see. New soil and clear the last